Today's podcast is sponsored by Corey. Or is it Cowrie? CauriWine.com, like the native wood Cowrie. That's K-A-U-R-I-W-I-N-E.com. Just choose Australia or New Zealand and you're on your way. Cowrie specializes in organic yeast and nutrients, and they're also there for you if you need equipment for building a new winery or upgrading your existing gear. So they've got tanks, steamers, mocks, barrel haul, humidification, all kinds of fancy toys. Have you seen their Spiedel tanks they import from Germany? They're probably one of the coolest tanks I've ever worked with. Uh, and I think that's how you pronounce it, Spiedel. It's been a while since I did my German studies. But anyway, they're about the best tanks I've ever worked with. Easy to rack off. They seal really awesome. Uh, great valves. Uh, really strong and lightweight to move around the winery if you need to. Uh, they're great. So just go to kariwine.com and, uh, again, pick either New Zealand or Australia. Uh, reach out to them and uh, for all your winemaking, brewing, and even some food additive needs. We're also sponsored by Decibel Wines. The Testify is out, and it is going. We've got uh, it on two degustation menus at some of New Zealand's top restaurants, including Pacifica and Hawke's Bay and Siddharth up in Auckland. There's a few other people hopping on board since I was last spoke to you guys. So I think, you know, I said 226 packs already down to 186 packs available. It's a bit less than last week, right? So hop on it now. Difference for you guys, if you use the promo code DBPODCAST, you get 10% off your first order. Uh, it's my purest expression of Gibla Cravel's Malbec, uh, hand on heart, best one I think I've ever produced. And um, I'm loving that we held it back in bottle for an extra 15 months before releasing it. Just featured a Texom uh, in Dallas at the Gibla Gravels lunch we sponsored there. So I'm, I'm hearing good things. So go to decibelwines.com to order one of the beautiful six packs. And we're doing with free shipping. Again, you'll get 10% off your first order. And we're now available to ship throughout New Zealand, Australia, the U.S., the EU, that's all over the EU, uh, Singapore, Japan, Hong Kong, and, of course, the United Kingdom, Brexiters, no fear, I can still ship you wine. Just visit decibelwines.com, click Shop Decibel Wines, and then choose your flag. Very easy. Here we go, Willie D. up i've just fitted my little studio with some um soundproofing i just want to let you know that i am working on it guys i'm trying to make it better i'm trying to make it sound better so please hang in there i've got some great guests booked in for the coming weeks and i'm, I'm really trying to make it sound good too i hope you know uh, and i'm working on my <laughs> all my speech crutches like the ums and you knows and uh you know what it means and all that kind of stuff so it is a work in progress, and I appreciate you guys listening. We are looking at the numbers, and there are people out there listening, and we're gaining some traction. I think a lot of it has to do with all these interesting guests we're booking in. Uh, and though I am talking about sound, um, there I go again with my verbal crutches, 
the last three podcasts I did in Sydney were all on location, all traveling. My gear is pretty mobile, so uh, bear with us with the sound. One of them was in a restaurant. Uh, that said, the first one up is with Joe Brzezinska, and she was really good up close on the microphone listening back to the episode. I think she sounds a lot clearer than me, uh, which is not a surprise. So it is today's episode the first of three podcasts I recorded last week in Sydney. Uh, in three consecutive days, so I'm going to release them over the next three weeks. First up is the very fascinating Joe Brzezinska. Uh, Joe, I think I'm saying her name right, or at least I'm trying to say it the way that I heard you say it. Um, Joe is a multi-sensory artist whose parallel backgrounds in sound and art and professional wine writing have increasingly covered, converged in the production of art at the intersection of the senses. This regularly combines audition and the chemical senses, taste and olfaction. The interaction between its creative application is also a topic of her current interdisciplinary doctoral research at UNSW, University of New South Wales, Art and Design. So what's all that mean? I just read that off her website. What's all that mean? Well, first it means she's a lot smarter than me. Uh, probably smarter than most of us out there listening, or most of you guys out there listening. So, uh, But she's in a unique position, as we discuss a lot during the podcast, of being a wine writer, very knowledgeable about wine, wine regions, viticulture. She's worked all over the world, as well as having a fairly unique background in music. So not like my background, where I grew up playing a little guitar and a little band when I was a kid and messing around with classes here and there as I grew up and then sleeping on some floors while touring with a rock band. No, no, this is not Joe's experience. Joe is a classically trained musician, a classically trained singer, plays a bit of violin and piano. Uh, and what comes with that is a great understanding of not only music, but, um, you know, great musicians listen to each other. And so Joe has a keen sense of both taste and smell from that wine background and, and of hearing and, and of those senses. Uh, so combine that together in her case, and you get some of the most fascinating scientific research happening today. I, I sort of get a bit woo-woo about all this stuff, and I admit it. It's very close to my heart. I think about the book, uh, The Pearl, from John Steinbeck, uh, one of our great American authors uh, who I read as a kid a lot. And if you haven't read it, I, I really recommend it. It's a pretty short book. Uh, but he discusses music in a way that it sort of passes through our DNA uh, through down through generations. And I'm not sure if that really relates to what Joe's PhD work is, probably not, but uh, anyway, it's kind of how I relate to things, and I think the idea with Joe is her, you know, it's the music part is one facet, and trying to understand about the crossover between the senses, so we discuss that a lot, even though she's got a, a really wide, varied background, that crossover of the senses is the big thing, and she explains it a lot better than I do, so... Let's get into it with Joe Brzezinski. Yeah, I think if you just speak generally in the direction of the microphone, we'll be, yep. we'll be in good shape. Great. I have notes, which I've never done for a uh, podcast before, because <laughs> normally I just get into it and uh, start 
um, you know, just talking, which we will do as well, but I have some specific questions because what you're doing and what you're uh, presenting is pretty fascinating. It's something that I'll probably explain more, but it's pretty dear to my heart as far as, uh, you know, the passion and my history, but something probably more recently that I've uh, trying to become more attuned to. But what are you doing your PhD in right now? My PhD is looking at um, the interaction between sound and the chemical sensors. So, is anybody yeah. else doing that PhD? Um, there's people that there's psychologists who are doing some kind of research in that area. Um, I'm uh, I'm doing it from an artistic point of view, okay. and there's no one doing um, the research that involves taste and olfaction and sound, um, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. I'd be very happy if there was someone else in my in my artistic field, um, but I'm also doing um, work with psychologists and cognitive scientists, cognitive neuroscientists as well, to kind of um, apply and kind of draw on some of the research that's been going on in that area which yeah. has been really really interesting yeah there's some, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff out there these days so um obviously i know you're from the wine industry but um and i discovered your project i think the first thing i heard about was that you had a wine bar or something that you yeah, had, yeah, yeah yeah we had yeah the oracle yeah. um wine bar it was the sonic arts gallery and wine and sound bar yeah. Uh, which I think was the world's first, actually, yeah. to actually have a, never heard of a dedicated, um, permanent wine bar um, yeah. where the, the the sounds in the space matched the uh, the wine list. Pretty interesting. Mm. So that, uh, and then I approached you at Pinot Seventeen after your um, your presentation, which uh, was was pretty cool. Which I'll get into in a second because I have some questions about that. But sort of rewinding back a bit. Uh, you're Kiwi, Australian. I English. am a yeah. I'm a bit of a mixture. Yeah. I was born I'm, in. I'm trying to place the accent. <laughs> that's why. Born in the UK. Okay. I moved to New Zealand in 2004, and I'm a New Zealand citizen. Okay. Currently in Australia to do this PhD. And I I'm, swore I heard an Australian word in there. I can't remember what it was, but I thought I thought yeah maybe. How long you've been in Sydney? Well, right? I'm, I'm married to an Australian, ah, but I cool. identify as a Kiwi. Yeah, so sure. <laughs> that's where my heart is. Yes. Good, good. Uh, and so you got here in 2004 and studied here? Or, or I'm sorry, in New Zealand you studied? Um, I did all kind of my study in the UK before coming to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, in New Zealand, I just focused on the wine writing and, and wine judging. Um, and parallel to this, I was continuing to do my sonic, sonic so art you, as well. So you were doing wine writing in the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've kind of been doing it for, yeah, probably... Must have started quite young then. Yeah, that was basically I after I finished. I've got my degree in masters was in English, um, and I went into the wine trade kind of first off when I when I finished. It was just actually I'd got into wine. I'd always been into tasting things, and was a keen kind of cook. Yeah. Um, and it was just to while I tried to work out what I was going to do in life. I thought, hmm, I like wine. So I basically joined a kind of quality wine chain and ended up running a wine shop in central London for a couple of years and did all my wine and spirit education trust qualifications there. And then kind of realized that I actually really like writing um, and kind of did a, a 
course in journalism and started writing about wine from the get-go, really. I did a brief spell of financial journalism, but that wasn't as exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny that, uh, well, it's probably not that funny to the people that it happens to, but there are people that, you know, they, they really like wine and they like to describe wine, but they forget, like, you need to be a good writer. <laughs> and that's yep. where the best wine writers that I enjoy reading and, uh, you know, the ones that obviously have the most success are good writers, just to start good journalists at the, at the heart, you know, and they happen to have a passion for wine as well. So I feel like the good ones, they could write about anything really, you know? Yeah. Um, so that makes sense. I didn't know you had a journalism background as well. So <laughs> uh, unlike, you know, this thing with the podcast and everything, I also find that people that have been most successful tend to be people who have done some sort of broadcasting or journalism where I don't, <laughs> I'm not, I'm just a winemaker. Um, but well, that's really interesting. And then, uh, but obviously very creative artistic side as well. Yeah, so in parallel to the, the, the wine, um, from kind of an early age, I was kind of classically trained in music um, when I was growing up. Um, and then when I moved to London to do my... Um, Which instrument? What instruments? Um, voice and violin mm. with a bit of piano. Um, but I think the voice was my preferred thing. I kind of struggled on with the violin for many years, kind of out of sheer bloody-mindedness yeah. rather than any uh, talent, I think. Um, but I kind of... Then I got into kind of more experimental and alternative music. I kind of I bought a bass guitar when I was 14. Um, and when I moved to London, kind of I kind of focused more. It became increasingly experimental music that I was doing. Started out doing DJing, actually, but kind of... So all the pieces that I heard is stuff you mixed? Or yeah, 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 yeah. So I create all my own soundscapes yeah. in my own, own work. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, a a different kind of talent too that yeah so you have to go out and collect sound basically yeah i mean a lot of my sound practice is actually based on environmental recordings um so going around kind of recording things like those birds that are in the soundscape those those are new zealand birds yeah, I <laughs> assume but we yeah. are there's a lot of you know loud and you know funny birds in sydney as well but yeah yeah they're they're kind of they're a lot more raucous actually so um yeah, yeah. the new zealand birds were more attuned to what i wanted to do yes. in my soundscape so yeah they, they were recorded on the banks peninsula so, I mean, everywhere I go, I tend to record. So I've got this big bank of recordings. Um, and obviously the, the wine project in Aesthesia that I did um, back in 2012, that was a project that was completely created from recordings of the winemaking process. That I remember re yeah, reading about and seeing online and everything. Yeah, reading, well, yeah. reading about that project. And I think I saw a photo of you in the vineyard. Yeah, recording a yes. canopy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of um, yeah, recording the soil to the vines um, into the, the winery, uh, wine so fermenting. When you're out, you know, on a you know, outside of a tractor going by or something, are you trying to tune into a certain, you know, this, without sounding too trippy, but tune into a frequency uh, to, you know, maybe the soil or there's some sort of, or is it wind or what are, you, what are you trying to capture there? Well, I guess like with that particular project, it was like firstly making lots and lots of recordings of the winemaking process. But I was very keen to start with the soil and in the vineyards because obviously mm. that's a very important yes. part. 
Um, so I did a lot of recordings and, you know, I didn't know until I got, kind of got them back into the studio what exactly I would use. But part of that project as well was also as I was, um, as well as making recordings, I was tasting the local wines as well. So kind of bearing in mind the flavour profiles of those wines, um, which was Campania. I was kind of based um, near uh, Tufo, um, so Greco. Greco de Tufo country sure, and Tarazi and to, uh, <laughs> hang out and do a project. Yeah, yeah, so it was kind of collecting sound samples and tasting wine samples. How did you discover to go to there, or how did you end up doing it there? I was actually offered a residency um, by a, an Italian um, curator called Leandro Pisano, who um, organises um, rural residencies for artists, and he'd heard about um, my work with wine and sound, which hadn't been as integrated I was largely being a sound artist who was also a wine writer yeah, but I yeah. just started I started to kind of get interested in combining the two mm. especially after the first wave kind of the first of the new wave of research in um, psychology came out um, which actually showed it wasn't just me that were making no, you were. <laughs> yeah because for a long time I just thought well I'm highly engaged with sound and I'm highly engaged with wine mm. so I think there's some things going on for me but I assumed it was just me um, but yeah, so I started exploring that and the curator of these, res of these residency programs, he got in contact with me and I thought, well, brilliant, you know, that, that would be a great place to kind of take, um, take this a step further and really kind of explore, not just kind of, I'd been doing sound and wine matching with other people's music um, and had done one wine piece myself. Um, I this think that, that was in the mix. Did you do a piece that was in the Pinot 17? Uh, yeah, I think that was that was a later piece okay. that I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this, the 2012 um, project in Italy was the first one that really, really brought everything together and kind of my sound, uh, my own kind of creative sound practice becoming part of that as well. So it was brilliant. I just got offered the opportunity to go to Italy and focus on this project and you know, try loads of wonderful wines, be in a beautiful place, kind of listen, you know, record some really interesting sounds and put it all together to present at a festival, which was um, absolutely, it was a wine and music festival, um, kind of experimental and sound artists um, were kind of performing and presenting their works. Mm. So the um, <coughs> Inesthesia work was um, first premiered in the little um, kind of wine village of Tufo in the village square with the speakers around it and uh, people being given wines at the right time that went with the different sections of the piece that I'd, um, I'd made. So. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was great. It, it felt right and it worked. So it was like, hmm, that was kind of like kind of a um, game-changing yeah, project. Yeah, Epiphany-ish. Yeah. yeah. And then on, onwards from there. And then, uh, then you came back to Christchurch at that point? Yes, yep. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, yeah, that's I've been down there a couple of times recently. The city's on the rise again. Mm. Tons of restaurants, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. It's like everywhere you look, there's <laughs> a crane or a restaurant. Um, uh, you were just saying, so the project was called anesthesia? Anesthesia. So, uh, as opposed to synesthesia? Yeah, so with inos, as in the play for the Greek word um, for, for wine, wine yeah. and kind of playing with the word synesthesia, the, okay. um, obviously the condition in where you, the senses become kind of cross-wired. Um, obviously, synesthesia is something, it's a fairly rare condition, 
But what I'm really interested in, what it refers to, and kind of the main thrust of my own research is looking at the sensory interactions that happen with kind of the general wider public. Yeah, I don't know. You would know. There's going to be a lot you're going to know more about this than me, but I'm going to have some assumptions. And uh, but as far as synesthesia goes, uh, could it be something like autism or something where certain people are on the spectrum, and then there's certain people that are, you know, way into it. I, I know a guy who. He saw people as numbers, and, yeah. and he never got it wrong. Like I was a four, and I was always a four, and that oh, he's a seven, she's a two. Yeah, you know? and 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 uh, whereas maybe I have it in a lighter way, you know, I have synesthesia light or something, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the jury's still out. This it's still kind of a hot debate. Um, for example, the cognitive neuroscientist that I've been working with um, on this osmic resonance project, um, she's an expert in synesthesia and sensory integration. She it believes that it is a spectrum and yeah, that you okay. get synesthetes at one end and then you kind of get lots of different levels in between. Um, but it's that these sensory interactions are, help, are happening um, not only with synesthetes where they're very, very strong. Sometimes they can be very, very specific as well. Um, yeah, that number one was pretty, yeah. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> where that falls in, but I, thought, I, I think I've heard of that from other people too, but uh, you grow up in a bar and you meet some interesting people over the years. Yeah. Um, but there's also, on, on the other kind of perspective, there's people like Charles Spence, um, who is another, he's a psych, experimental psychologist who I'm working with at Oxford University, and he feels, he considers that there are, that synesthesia is a separate phenomenon to these cross-modal correspondences, which are the sensory correspondences that are experienced by the wider public. Mm. So it, the jury is is still out. But what I'm working with is definitely the cross-modal correspondences, the things that we all share. And my research, my PhD research, is mapping out more of these correspondences that are widely shared. I mean, it could be some things are quite culturally specific. When it comes to taste, which is quite a kind of um, culturally embedded... Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it seems that that plays a part as well. And so you'll get different correspondences in different cultures. Yeah, well, maybe that's a good place to ask where the... I don't know if the neuroscientist has something to say about the evolutionary, you know, there must be a reason why so many of us cross these things up uh, in that, I don't know, was it, I'm I'm on the hunt in the forest (laughs) and I smell something and that reminded me of something or I hear something that reminds me of a memory or a cross and I, I get out of there, there's a you know an elephant coming to get me or a tiger or yeah. whatever, you know. It does actually seem that quite a lot of these correspondences are um, to make us kind of quicker and better mm. at kind of achieving tasks. But it's quite interesting, um, there isn't anything yet um, which is kind of firmly in place to suggest why we might have correspondences between sounds and tastes and sounds and olfaction and they haven't found that it will make us do a task more quickly and effectively yeah that's kind of what i was wondering if it has to relate to something else um but you know it's early days in the research and so far an interesting study has been done on mice uh, obviously kind of an animal um (laughs) but it kind of shows that the olfactory tube to tubercle um, is there's a connection with the auditory system and so when a mouse hears a sound um, the olfactory um, 
system is stimulated. So it could be there is, I mean, I don't know, it might be something to do with hunting, maybe a sound triggers kind of a an olfactory kind of heightened response. I mean, this isn't my area of speciality, but yeah, this is, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting background. Or it could be the sound that food makes when you, I, mean, I don't know, un, when you're actually an animal or a human is actually getting into like peeling something or eating something. Um, certainly it's quite interesting in my own work I did a piece called um, carbonic oscillation where I um, created a um, effervescing chamber um, and that was um, using the sounds of fermentation so kind of very kind of um, fizzing effervescing soundtrack I had a visual um, stimulus was the uh, was uh, a light projection which was very much like kind of popping bubbles kind of quite crack crackly kind of visuals and um, it was designed to it that participants went in with a glass of sparkling wine it was all about kind of dissolving the boundaries between kind of um, the participant and the experience (laughs) Um, and it was interesting at one point somebody went in with a glass of sparkling wine that was it was flat they hadn't they weren't meant to get that wine so there wasn't very much effervescent in it at all left in the wine at all yeah. and they didn't notice until they came out of the installation and it was like oh this is flat but within the space it had actually made them the kind of the sounds Jumpy. and yeah well <laughs> it had kind of it had re kind of carbonated their yeah, their yeah. wine and it was like oh that's really interesting so yeah. kind of there's you know that had created kind of a um kind of a sensory kind of illusion i guess kind of based on kind of what they were hearing which was um, interesting yeah so mm. w- with that and you know i don't know how much data you're collecting at a you know, an exhibit or a project like that, uh, and what I just did here at your exhibit here in Sydney, and what, you know, I think at the Pinot 17 conference, you had a giant room full of wine professionals, and uh, I don't know how much data that was, or was more, it was probably just more presentation, I'm guessing, and just to get us thinking, and, and I thought it was a really nice break from <laughs> all the other stuff we were doing, but though the tastings were really good and everything. Um, one of the questions I had, and I, again, I said this before we started recording. I wrote some things down, <laughs> and I don't normally do this, so pardon me if it's a bit clunky me reading this, but I sort of wrote a complex system as it relates to consciousness. And, you know, if we, you know, how skewed would the data be for somebody like me who's a wine professional and has a trained palate and um, as opposed to a punter who just walks in where... And I guess this speaks to what kind of projects and how you collect data in the sense that, okay, we taste four things and maybe we listen to four different kinds of music. I might adjust to that a lot quicker and my, you know, my sort of synapses are quicker to, because I just do it professionally or you do it yeah. professionally as opposed to you know, the data you might get off somebody who it's just sort of surprised by every little thing that happens, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting um, because I remember the first time I ever pre- presented a wine and sound tasting and it was um, it was at a professional wine kind of exhibition in Auckland to wine professionals 
And I was really, really nervous. I thought, well, because I was quite surprised that it happened that the, the change, I perceived quite a lot of changes in wine with different sounds for myself. Yeah. I kind of thought that they were interacting. But then I thought, actually, that's really shifting my perspective on things. And I like to think that my judgment is quite, um, you know, it can't just be changed yes. by my environmental yeah. factors. So yeah. I felt a bit nervous about that. But then it was like, okay, well, if this works for me, and I'm obviously a highly engaged wine um, professional, I'll try it out on this room of wine professionals. And yeah, they were all kind of really, well, I think quite a lot of people were very skeptical, um, but probably similar to the, what happened at the Pinot Noir conference, people um, were really quite surprised at how much um, their perception of what they were tasting changed. So it's like, firstly, being able to change a wine professional's perspective <laughs> on something, that was like the first challenge, and it, and it works. And there has been data gathered, um, actually, in relation to wine and sound, um, using professionals um, and um non-professionals by Charles Spencer Oxford University and Janice Wang who have both kind of been doing some interesting research um, and Janice particularly with wine as well she's probably the person that's kind of closest to doing what I'm doing but they found that there wasn't very much difference um, between the professional and the kind of well, non-professional. The flip side of that is I've done t one of the first things I did when I moved to New Zealand was a tasting wheel of aromas or not a wheel but you know it's like set aromas like passion fruit and capsicum blah 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 and the kids just blew away the adults in this and there was like people who thought they knew a lot about wine at this little event in Havelock North and and you know so there's something to be said too about a fresh palate or innocent palate uh, as well but it's surprising I don't know you know probably the wine writers and the buyers might be a little more um, stubborn with changing their but I would think from a winemaking standpoint of view we're always looking for advantages and you know I know from working with most of the winemakers I've worked with the good ones at least you know we don't we taste something before we make a decision over the course of weeks mm. uh, because w are we sure you know particularly with Pinot Noir it's it's very susceptible to I don't, you know we rack it out of a barrel into a tank and I taste it, I go something's wrong there or, or is it me and then you come back to it and and just by paying attention to the biodynamic calendar I've noticed that oh maybe it was a fruit day and that was tasting that that day so of course other influences music the day your emotions what's going on what you ate uh, and it, there's millions of other things that have to so it's a, I would I would hope the winemakers out there at least would be very open to this idea and uh, you know we certainly blare enough music in the winery all of us to be inspired to to try to make and do make good decisions you know yeah so. Uh, yeah, maybe it's the, the, uh, the your fellow wine writers. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think we kind of, um, we obviously, everybody is different and we yeah, kind of, sure. there's lots of different factors. Um, but it, in, in general, what I've found is like, if, if you're really actively engaged with, um, say, wine, I mean, we've got our own language of wine sure. that we use and we think very much about, we've, we've got a lot of experience um, so we can kind of dissect a wine, we can smell a wine and we can taste a wine, we can think about what, you know, what that is, you know, maybe how that was created, kind of, you know, the character of a grape variety, whereas kind of your, you know, the general, member of the general public, 
you know, they might say smells like red wine. You know, yeah, they haven't yeah, got the yeah. vocabulary because it's not a vocabulary that we have in our in our language. We've had to kind of, you know, people that are really kind of focused on taste have had to kind of, um, say in wine, have had to really kind of develop our own language to, to oh, talk I, with. I, so many parallels to music, though, as well. Mm, yeah. You know, it's, it's knowing what is, you know, what is good, what is what, what is... Um, uh, you know, one of the experiences I had in there that I didn't think about was, you know, I just had a sound guy tell me when I was you know, pretty young in the music industry that, you know, something I always knew, but I never put a terminology to, which is, you know, treble and high end is directional and bass and low end is omnidirectional, which mm. is if you stand backstage on, at a concert, all you hear is the kick drum and the bass player. And then if you stand, you know, a th- hundred meters back from the stage all you hear is the treble because the bass sort of you know it's it um sort of dies out omnidirectional whereas you know so just something like that in music i wouldn't have been able to put terminology to that and understand it and uh and you know you just kind of walk in as a professional well that's the way that is and we need to put subwoofers you know 50 meters down yeah so that the you know and delay the sound or whatever and so um but you do make these connections in your head uh, that keeps. Uh, but yeah, that sort of goes back to my question: is if there's, but I, if there is a difference between the, you know, the rookie and the, the professional. I think when it comes to yeah, using our senses, we're using them in a pretty similar similar way. Mm. Um, what is the main difference is that um, we can we've got the words to describe it, um, mm. what's happening to us, and most people don't. And it's quite interesting um, currently doing this work with um, uh, sense um, as well as sound. Um, people are notoriously bad at identifying smells. Um, you know, even if you, I, I, I would say even a winemaker, if they're not familiar, if they're not kind of part of, that, of the kind of really direct um, uh, work that someone's doing, probably even a winemaker might kind of find it difficult to, kind of put their finger on some kind of aromas which might be kind of around and about but it's not a thing humans do very well so it's um, and that's 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 everybody and but you if you're kind of dealing in a certain area with a certain kind of subset of smells then you'll be pretty good with those yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, we know how, uh, when we smell Britannomyces. Yeah. <laughs> that one we know. And cork taint. Yeah. Um, and what does it have to relate to as far as memory? Is your any work have to do with that? You know, everybody talks about and I experience it all the time. You know, I walk in and I smell something and I go, oh, I'm back in my grandmother's kitchen right now, you know. Uh, that's the one memory... Uh, or that's an example of a memory that I think a lot of people say is they smell something from their childhood, and they're and it and I relate it to I always joke around it's time travel. You mm. know, it's it's you're immediately back there, you know. Totally, yeah. And actually, I've just been writing up something on my computer this afternoon about the research that I'm doing with this osmic resonance project, which was very much a part of it was looking at memories and emotions. Because within kind of looking at work um, and research that has looked at sound and olfaction or audition and olfaction and interactions between, um, a lot of the research has looked at kind of perceptual correspondences. There is an increasing amount of work which shows that emotion may be mediating these correspondences, but nothing had really drilled down to find out what was behind the emotion. Mm. And for me, I just thought, well, you know, as part of the research I'm doing here, looking at the emotion and the fact that kind of our um, 
olfactory system is directly kind of uh, connected to um, the amygdala, um, uh, which is responsible for memory and emotion. Um, This was a really important thing. And if I was going to be creating works which um, uh, use sound and aromas, I needed to know kind of what what do we share and what could be just really really personal uh, and it does people do people's personal memories um, are those affecting the ways that they're going to kind of interact when it comes to, to sound as well so as I, I, I ran this experiment which I was helped with the experimental design by the cognitive neuroscientist Anina Rich um, who's a specialist in synesthesia and um, sensory interaction at, I wrote her name down yeah she's at Macquarie University she's really good and the first time I ever met her she was talking at an art event so um, she's got a really good way of kind of talking to a a wide group of people and helped me design this experiment which was seeking to um, identify more correspondences because not a huge amount have been mapped between sounds and aromas Um, not very complex sounds anyway there's been an experiment which has matched um, uh, pitch and aromas Mm. which was it was that was an attempt to try and find some classification system for aromas because as you know you know there isn't there's not a color wheel for smell i mean people people try kind of for wine making an aroma wheel but it's it's kind of not really an exact science no no it's just kind of examples of what you might smell in a wine or something yeah rather than actually the kind of way that they're ordered is not kind of it doesn't feel that natural so people are still trying to it's a tall task i would say yeah (laughs) because uh even just in the world of wine let's you know forgetting food and everything else and you know industrial smell anything that uh i think about there are certain things in italian wines particularly italian white wines that I've never smelled in really any other wines from other parts of the world, and I can't really put my finger on what. And I, you know, and I've thought about it a lot and tasted ones. It's kind of a an anise. It's kind of a tea leaf thing. I don't know if it's a stressed vine thing or. Yeah. But, but I know it when I get it, and and uh, and it brings me back to, you know, it's also a sense memory thing. I go, you know, yeah. I like that. It makes me feel nice. It makes me, you know, remind me of my family and everything. You know. Yeah, I totally have that as well. I've got these terms that I write down um, in some tasting notes, which are very personal to me, which I know I could never like kind of write something for the Herald and kind of write that in a description. But it's, it's a word for a certain kind of aroma or a taste that really I, I haven't been able to kind of cross-reference it with any kind of established nomenclature. It's yeah, a, yeah. Uh, I just have to try and kind of evoke it as much as I can through words, but it's like, um, yeah, the, the actual associations are quite kind of personal and the, yeah, the terminology so is totally personal, <laughs> yeah. so no one's going to get that. <laughs> so it, it is really, really important. That's why kind of in this research I was really keen. I asked people to kind of match sounds and aromas, but I also asked them to... Um, note down if an aroma or a sound also evoked a personal response for the sounds there wasn't so so much writing from the participants as i had thought I, i i kind of asked them about the sounds just to kind of keep kind of the balance but with the aromas so many people um well lots of aroma all the aromas that were recognized um, there were some associations of certain levels there, and some, and 
well, I say the majority of them went back to childhood. They're kind of old, kind of quite ingrained associations. It's not like, oh, this smell reminds me of when I walked past this like last week. Yeah. There was no, lots no. of kind of things like cooking with a f- kind of a, a mother or, yeah, lots of kind of very, very strong memories that were evoked by the smells. So, yeah, it makes it a very complex area to, to deal with because you've got all of these people's like the personal memories and emotions that you're working world. with. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was kind of um, it, the kind of findings that I got from my experiment kind of it showed, I think, you know, that the emotional way that um, uh, this mediation of the senses is emotional as well as kind of those different other factors which kind of cause cr- um, cross-motor correspondences. But within the emotions, when it comes to smell, um, and and kind of, I'm sure with taste as well, I haven't looked into that into into so much kind of depth. But you know, the emotions and mer- memories um, and associations are very much part of part of that picture. Which what about uh, you know uh, about the mapping? You know, I've, I've, you know, in my courses, I've studied like mapping of the mouth and where you taste certain things and the fact that, you know, what salt actually does on a chemical level and brings up that free hydrogen ion, I think it is, or something. Is, I've actually, I'm trying to remember the, the um, you know, the smell of the nose, the olfactory. I don't remember how much we studied that or I've studied that as far as what reactions are going on and is it a much wider range, I would think, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I guess kind of research into olfaction, there's just not as much as with a lot of other senses. Um, Mm. You know, it's still kind of... It's so more vague and like uh, it's a bit more mysterious. You I know? mean, people kind of it's, I've been spending years like trying to work out how how it actually works. Yeah, so I mean, means. the kind of people have got a pretty good idea about vision, but when it comes to olfaction, there's still a lot of uncharted territory that people are working out. Which I think is probably why it's not kind of um, communicated um, about as much. It's still kind of a bit of a mystery. Yeah. I mean, that's why I find it really interesting as well. And of course, yeah, these links with kind of emotion and the fact they can do very strong and powerful things with the sense of sense of smell. Have you read Perfume by Patrick Siskin? I have, yep. <laughs> okay, that would have to be number one on your reading list, or, yep. you know, for fiction at least. God, I hope it's fiction. Uh, for any winemakers out there who haven't read that one, that's a, yeah, that's a must do. Yeah. Which I stumbled on that book. Somebody randomly, it was in a reading list at a school I went to in Belgium and they they just, I was like, oh, that one looks good. And I just read it and halfway through, <laughs> I was like so wrapped up in this book. It was crazy, you know, and this is way, way before any wine or anything was in my life really in a major way, but it had a long impact as far as I, I should go back and read it again because the, I, I definitely remember the descriptions of that. And that was the first time I'd ever seen somebody write out something about uh, smell in such a way that was just emotional and and non-emotional the guy yeah. was a bit of a psychopath obviously um but yeah that it, it is it's a, it's it's this sort of vagueness and mystery that's around it because i think also on in you know with taste in your mouth you know you're dealing with hot and cold and salty and sweet and there's like parameters that you sort of think about whereas when you smell something you're like well that's just that or it's kind of like that you know and it's just the whole thing's a lot more vague so you got your work cut out for you I guess yeah no definitely because I think you know if you're working with um, olfaction if you're um, kind of within my kind of creative practice my artwork 
I'm wanting to make experiences where the senses are integrated and it kind of works. Obviously, everybody brings something different, even if you're just kind of looking at something. If you just, yeah. I think I just got a whiff from the, the room there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah it's one a, of your florals. It's quite fragrant, yeah. Yes. I've been kind of, yeah, um, yeah, diffusing quite a lot of kind of citrus kind of yes, into the mix. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what was I saying? Um, oh, just about the... Uh, yeah, the, your work cut out for you. Yeah, yeah. If you're actually wanting to create something that's going to work for quite a few people, um, kind of getting your head around associations. I mean, I mean, the first, the easiest thing is positive versus negative associations. And in my experiment, lemon was the most liked smell. It was the most familiar smell. Yeah, um, yeah. And everyone had a positive association. Maybe not so many of the kind of deeply kind of emotional ones. But there was kind of... Um, I know that. Aha. <laughs> yeah. And, and ideas of freshness and clean, cleanness. I guess lemon's in a lot of clean products yeah, so as well. So there's... Pine saw and floor cleaners. Yeah. And, you know. In a kind of a nice way that's not kind of... If, if you get into the realms of disinfectant, yeah. that can that starts getting a bit negative, yes. kind of cleaning up some kind of mess. Um, but, it, yeah, it was interesting that that was, um, that was the most kind of positively responded to. So I've kind of put kind of lemon into this particular installation and that it was most matched with the bird song that I, I yeah, played. I, was, um, I think I may have written something. Yeah, like that, which yeah. was quite surprising to me because I hadn't really, I hadn't, it's not until you sit down and actually work these things through that you, you kind of find out where kind of these um, correspondences lie. And it was like, oh, oh, that's interesting. And then, yeah, I kind of tried it and it's like, yeah, that. Um, yeah, it's the high end thing. Yeah, you know, the it's, brightness. It's the brightness. And I don't, I've, if I look back at a lot of the music I've liked, I've kind of liked brighter digital delay and things like that you know um so i, don't, I thought maybe that was it but it probably has more to do with what you're saying that it's familiar it's and that we like you know I, I, we've all had that wine epiphany where you say you love a wine so much and then you start learning about wine and you you, you enjoy it because you're recognizing things in it and you like when you do good people like when they you know they enjoy things when they're good at it so i think that might be part of it too, the emotion of, I know what that is. Yeah, know? familiarity. Definitely more positive responses when people know what it is. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think it's kind of um, kind of personal preference, kind of liking, familiarity. And with the lemon, there was also these strong correspondences. Both the bird song and the lemon were rated highly as being bright. Yeah. So there's some kind of perceptual realm as well. These correspondences are, n are not simple things. So it's likely there's lots and lots of layers. But I think kind of the emotional appears to be kind of one of those. And, and certainly it's important, I think, with kind of olfaction. So yeah, I wonder if it's sort of pendulum and that it can get too bright into, I'm sure it is, that annoying and then... Yeah, you know, I mean, I've done things with wine um, and sound where I'm kind of talking with acidity, yeah. um, where you can, the, there's associations between acidity and high pitches. And I really like high acid wines, so I can play something with quite a high pitch and it's like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, dialing up the acidity, <laughs> intensifying it even further. But then you can actually push it into a painful zone. And yes. for some people that comes a bit like less because I've done kind of quite a lot of tastings with people kind of testing the kind of sound acid level for people. And I realize I've got quite my threshold 
is fairly high. I can kind of do quite high frequencies and high acid wines and that's mm. okay. But so, for some people it's like, oh no, you know, yeah. it's making the wine taste like sour and kind of like unbearable now. So you can kind of modulate people's perspectives. So what would the, the low end, is that like the, some of those mustier and... Uh, the cedar wood because that was kind of bright as well. yeah the cedar wood was more mid-spectrum in the yeah. end actually that kind of popped up into the the mm. mid-range yeah so in the kind of yeah the, the sweetness kind of, you know I, I sweetness that vanilla like, the vanilla yeah. sweetness is i think that's quite low uh, yeah, as, like heavier, as well sort of lush mm. you know i think of the word lush and low and you know slightly droney and obviously that can go into Sort of sloppy and fat, I guess. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, one of the um, one of the studies that I'm doing, um, the one that I'm doing with Charles Spence at Oxford University, is looking at kind of frequency and various wine characters, because um, there's been quite a lot of research done with acidity um, in, across various things and high pitch. So that's quite robustly been. Um, kind of illustrated but I'm quite interested in looking yeah down in the base ra mm. range so that's the research that I'm doing <coughs> present like what happens what happens there so um yeah that that will be a paper no doubt coming out I just had a, I just had a really <laughs> random thought that uh with all this talk of AI uh, you know you know obviously more and more all the time and hell you know they're building robots and this and that and you know I forget the name of the scientist they named the test after where you can't decide if it's a person on the other end of a they ask you you have a conversation with them basically and it's a computer or it could be a person and there's some scientists they named it after if it passes the something test but I would it's it's pretty high hopes for humans that uh, I don't think a robot could do it you know a sensory test like that I mean it's got to be one of our more complex systems in the body yeah um, I forget about the brain and everything that's going on there but as far as like a quick test you could I don't know how many robots can smell you know what I mean? yeah I mean they've got a basic nose that they've developed I think it smells rotting things and they've it's a kind of a chemical kind yeah, of yeah. nose but there's a fire yeah but i think the nose it's like that was so people didn't have to go around checking kind of freshness and you could have a, a nose which does it for you but it's a pretty blunt instrument that i think that that's like that particular yeah, yeah that particular um yeah instrument is yeah, it just does. It just checks for I think rotting meat. Or yeah, something. <laughs> so it's not really picking out kind of um, yeah nuances in a fragrance. Um, you know, it's yeah. and it's not going to be able to associate with that with anything in the wider world. No, no, no. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think a lot of olfactory technology kind of lags behind, and in AI as well. You know, you might be able to navigate kind of around increasingly. Um, uh, convincing landscapes but yeah very well, often it speaks to what you said about visual you we've kind of mapped that part out yeah know, the smells are kind of way behind yeah i went to quite an interesting artificial intelligence um it was um uh virtual reality exhibition when i was in montreal i went to uh, present a paper and some work at a the Uncommon Senses conference, but while I was in Montreal, I went to a kind of virtual reality exhibition, and the smell side of things was so basic 
Yeah. Uh, in one, it was just like it was you're in a forest and they'd kind of put some kind of foresty floor things on the actual floor and it didn't change. You know, your vision's changing and there's loads of stuff going on there. But when it comes to the smells, it's like, hmm. Pretty yeah, yeah Yes, it was kind of like... And I, I for me, that really... Um, I find that really noticeable. I guess mm. I'm highly engaged. But it's like you, you've worked so hard to make a really uh, visually... Um, convincing environment the actual smell your smellscape is lacking <laughs> yeah yeah it's just i'll just uh, whiff some of the some of this over there and i hope they get away with it because they probably don't uh, it's got to be a terribly hard thing to mimic yeah know? i mean it's a very hard thing to deliver smells mm. um as i've kind of been realizing since i've been working yes. with them <laughs> yeah. i've like devised my own little fans that do, that diffuse smells and it, but it's still within this very exhibition i had to um put an extra fan together for the citrus high notes because in the general diffusion they didn't seem to be just coming out they, they, it was completely different from when I was actually smelling the scent that I'd made mm. when I was putting it out there the, the citrus kind of was missing and it was like oh no I've yeah, got to I remix that one in <laughs> I mean it's a, possibly that it is about that you know a smell isn't necessarily the same all the time you know or if like uh, visually there might be a certain depth and there might be that building is there and it's that color or at least that's how we perceive it in this world without getting too too woo woo into into what reality we're in but uh with um smell you know it's it's sort of evolving constantly it's not like oh is it there and then you kind of have to go back and smell it again and even just in wine but you know you could be at the beach and you're smelling 50 different things you know it's not one thing you're smelling it's you know a bit of ocean breeze and then the sand and then maybe there's some seaweed you know it's all these different things happening around us all the time yeah uh not that visually there isn't a lot but it's a little more mapped out maybe i don't know yeah and obviously um kind of aromas yeah aromas (laughs) are different difficult to capture there's Mm. not kind of there's no phone (laughs) for a kind of smartphone camera for aromas um, and kind of difficult to, to replicate as well and, and, and share um, easily. And so mm. certainly, um, and I've seen some things, people trying to do things with computers and kind of smell canisters on computers to try and kind of um, give smell to the kind of experience they're having through their computer. But it's such clunky basic stuff yeah. at present, like kind of the visual realm is way ahead. Yeah. Um, as it as it always is, people give it more focus. Um, we are kind of a visual society, but you know, for me, there's so much excitement to be had in um, in sounds and smells and tastes, and with smells and taste being the kind of more regularly overlooked areas. Uh, so I think kind of ripe for kind of further exploration. Absolutely, yeah. That's why we we close our eyes a bit when we smell. Sometimes you know, we've got to shut everything else out, or maybe it's you know, like uh, when I'm trying to follow directions, I have to turn the volume down on the stereo. <laughs> <laughs> Similar type of stuff, but I, I know I, I, yeah, I hope we do close our eyes a little more, you know, and, me- and not only meditate but also, you know, smell and take in the world in a different, you know, in, in other ways, you know. Yeah, I mean, in quite a, obviously in the installation that I've got here. Um, it's very low lit it's trying to take away visual stimulus and I've also done work with sound and taste which has blindfolds it's just trying to kind of remove vision because it keeps on coming in and and dominating kind of whether whether you like it or not it does I've seen 
winemakers guess red and white wine wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's been like a <laughs> formal formal study of wine students that was done in Bordeaux, and they dyed a white wine red, and people started getting red wine characters. Yeah. And I had a really interesting experience. I was um, I had a, a short spell at the Centre for the Study of the Senses in London, which is a really interesting um, multidisciplinary um, uh, department. And the director there, Barry Smith, um, who is actually really into wine, he's written some interesting things about senses and wine, um, he kind of did this test for me where I was, he gave me this fruit juice and he said, what is it? And it was a kind of red juice, it looked like tomato juice and then I smelt it and it's like, doesn't quite smell like tomato juice but it was like so difficult I could feel myself the the color cue of that liquid was really playing havoc with being able to judge with my nose and I'm thinking oh my goodness you know I'm a professional taster I am really struggling because yeah. the visual cue it just and I could feel feel this pull in my brain I could feel this pull between the kind of the color which was telling me tomato or kind of maybe raspberry or something and it was like no no and it was a real struggle but it was like I got it in the end it was pineapple juice that had been dyed <laughs> but this kind of internal struggle that went yeah. on to get that pineapple because of the the misleading visual cue just shows like how strong yeah, kind of vision is you'd have to tr train yourself otherwise to you know to be able to do that you know it's not like we're set up to do that we're meant to work together and again visual is it's what's it's the quickest thing for us right away. Yeah, yeah actually, that reminds me of an interesting thing which I noted about wine um, on Friday. The, um, the kind of legendary uh, orange wine producer, Redicon, Sa Sasha Redicon, mm -hmm. was in Sydney giving a tasting of his orange wines. And he was saying the kind of one of the issues is that people associate that coloured wine with oxidation, and he he said that kind of pe he he feels that people are actually starting to notice or smell oxidation characters in the wine because they had made such a strong judgment on colour based on their previous associations. So that was something he was coming up against. It was like, you know, there isn't oxidation. You know, th this colour is because of the skin contact. It's not oxidation. But people were actually kind of um, kind of hallucinating oxidation in Absolutely, because yeah. of those associations which are really hard to break um, visually. So I thought that was kind of interesting kind of perspective when it comes to judging a wine. Well, it's, you know, how most people are taught is, you know, look at it in the glass and you're right away you're going to start making assumptions. Uh, you know, bright, vibrant wine you think is going to be taste and smell bright and vibrant. And um, yeah, I think orange wine is something that's you know, it's, well, it's the oldest thing, but it's something that uh, is uh, sort of at the beginning again for retraining us all, especially when they're made properly and they're made right. You know, mm. I have a good friend, uh, Hayden, who makes supernatural wines. Yeah. He, he, you know, those wines, they're not faulty. They just are beautiful wines that age really long time. And uh, who's the Italian producer? Um, he's kind of like the godfather in Italy. Um but I opened one of his wines at a tasting with a bunch of winemakers who were so anti, like some of the old guard or pretty mm. anti-orange wine. And uh, yeah, I maybe just called them a sort of post-harvest. Everybody was in a good mood and they, it just stunned the room. They were just like, oh, this, you know, where, where'd this wine come from, you know? And, uh, but yeah, we have to get past those, you know, perception or, uh, you know, 
yeah, predetermined, you know. Yeah, and we're kind of conditioned, you know, these things get built up through experience and they can be very difficult <laughs> to break. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think I have much more on my list here. I had all these long notes about data and, you know, but... You went into Anna Rich, which I was going to ask about her. Evolution, I think that's the one, one of the big things that I was really curious about. And I know it's early days for all this stuff, but, uh, you know, I think evolution as it is to memory and things, I'm very curious to see where that, you know, why smell particularly, uh, you know, is time travel to you know for a lot of people and what why yeah so i think it is this i think the kind of the the most likely thing is that the olfactory system is linked to the um, amygdala um which Mm. is responsible but is it an accident that that, or is Uh, it yeah why that is yeah yeah, i mean (laughs) I mean, I mean, smells I, I are pretty important. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it, people like us, we realise that smells are important. I mean, smells are important. I mean, even come from sniffing out a, 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 mm. a partner, you know. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of an important kind Absolutely. of part of evolution, right? Yeah. At the very kind of um, the crux of things. Pheromones and everything else. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we kind of, yeah, there's some pieces in place, but there's still a lot to be, a lot to be put on. But, but the interesting thing is that there is a lot of research going on in the area kind of, um, of olfaction mm. um, and more attention being given to it overall. Um, for example, there's a whole, um, whole branch of history, which is now olfactory history. So it's looking at the kind of smells of a time and a place and putting those into kind of... Um, kind of referencing those in kind of historical ways, which I find really interesting. Um, yeah, it's not, not Paris in the Middle Ages. <laughs> well, you know, I met, when I was at the Uncommon Senses um, conference, I met an um, olfactory historian, and he's he goes through, I think, it, loads of decades. It's like a, a decade, a year. And he's had to do a few yeah. pretty kind of smelly ones, <laughs> unpleasantly. If I can ask anything out of this is to please, uh, yeah, keep in touch about, you know, upcoming interesting things going on i don't know if there's a place to follow your work or anything yeah i have got a website um which is joe um, maybe you could put a link oh i with, can put that this. in the notes and i yeah. will I always do that. Yeah. so in theory i have got a multi-sensory blog as well as a wine blog um going i haven't written as much as i'd like on the multi-sensory blog but actually um, just before you were coming in i was just writing an update about this residency so there is something that's going to be going up for probably by the time your um, listeners listen yeah, to this be there'll so. be some yeah. kind of new information there and I, I i am going to try and resolve to um put a bit more up um and also links when i have work published i've got a paper coming out where i was um, assessing anesthesia so i basically kind of um put my anesthesia wine and sound work kind of through um a a study and got participant feedback on it just to see if it worked in the way that i hoped it would and that's coming out in the international um uh, journal of food design um Mm. actually this this month so that's kind of a, an, yes. a, an academic yes. paper. Yes. <laughs> so these things, yeah, from uh, as things happen, I kind of will feed them out. I finished my PhD in 2020, and that's when I can probably reveal reveal all, and things yes. could be even more clear. Um, at present, I've got a lot of different studies um, in the offing. I've got the one with Oxford. I've got one um, at Adelaide University in, with their um, sensory department in, in there 
wine. Is there any crossover with industry or people reaching out to you guys? And yeah, say- I've done it. Well, it's I've done some more things actually recently with spirits producers than wine producers. Mm. Um, I did do something back in New Zealand with Crown Range Cellars where they commissioned me to create some sound works for individual wines. Mm-hmm. Um, so the work that I created for Pinot Noir was the one that I presented at the Pinot Noir conference. That was my piece yeah. um, amongst the dubstep and the tool. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, but since I've been in Sydney, I've actually worked with Bombay Sapphire and I did, um, I did soundscapes which were matched um, with four different cocktails, which oh, cool. also brought in the botanical nuances. So well, I did gin, yeah, I have a good buddy who makes gin, uh, Chris Reed in Martinborough. Mm. And, uh, I think they're in Australia now as well. And uh, I've sort of gotten a little more hip to the botanicals and all the different things and smells that are going on there so uh it's endless really yeah Yeah. i mean that was great fun to do that project it was Mm. just focusing on a single botanical which was the hero of a cocktail um and a a room as well so it was kind of a visual artist i was working with too and to like make a soundscape which totally really kind of brought out the positive characters of the flavor and also um, kind of the conceptual kind of nature as well and kind of where it came yeah, from. Yeah, I'm curious if uh, there's some more, I don't know if sinister is the word, but, you know, more uh, industry, you know, other industry like, you know, uh, uh, whether it's commercial spaces or casinos mm-hmm. or places that they want to evoke some type of emotion from the people that come into these spaces and they can just, you know, manipulate the smell a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, people are already doing know, that with doing kind that. of baked bread smells yes, and, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's quite a lot of research going on behind closed doors as well, <laughs> yes. which I'd love to know about, but yeah, we're probably just being kind of manipulated, you know, yeah. like, yes. <laughs> yeah. so yeah, watch out what you're kind of smelling. It's like, yeah. what is this? What is this doing to me? <laughs> well, cool. We'll leave it there. Uh, you, anything else you want to say or, or are you good? I'm good. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for for, for coming to, to see me and, yeah, and yeah. Um, checking out the uh, the yeah, exhibition. I'm I'll be following along. I want to want to know more. I want to know how to not lose my money at the casino. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, Tim. Yes, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was so cool talking to you. I think I could have gone on and on and on. And I hope we can talk again when your uh, research is done and maybe some of those secrets that we're worried about, somebody stealing some of your ideas are published and everything is safe and sound and we can go even deeper into it. I could talk about that kind of stuff all day. As she mentioned, Joe is at joebrzezinska.com. That's J-O-B-U-R-Z-N-S-K-A.com. That'll be in the show notes for this as well on iTunes and everywhere else you guys are listening. She's on Twitter. Drop her a line, at Invinopipias. So I-N-V-I-N-O-P-I-P-I-A-S on Twitter. I'm, of course, at Decibel Dan on most things like Twitter, Instagram, and WeChat as well now. Decibel Wine's up on Facebook 
Uh, visit decibelwines.com. Use the promo code DB Podcast to receive 10% off your first order. And thanks again to Kari Wine for, with all their good stuff. Please visit them. Next week, we've got a great conversation with my new buddies, Rebecca and Hamish, who own the Hippest Vermouth Bar, an absurdly awesome restaurant, Banksy, on the waterfront in Sydney. We'll chat then. Drop me a line in the meantime. Cheers. <laughs>